The scripture lesson this morning is taken from the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, page 955 in your pew Bibles, reading verses 1 through 17. Remembering as we read and think about these words, the theme, what God, uh, the church God wants us to be. This is who we ought to be and what God wants from us. Think of that as we read Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death Therefore, whatever belongs to your human nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <clears throat> the lonely trail of the gimper Chuck Swindoll wrote an article and gave it that title years ago, The Lonely Trail of the Gimper. He acknowledged in the article that gimper is a rare word, but he claimed also that a real live gimper in person is rarer still. 
He said, you seldom see a gimper, but occasional sightings have been made, quote, on college campuses, business offices, rest homes, athletic teams, and among salespeople. You may even run across a few in some churches. In fact, though their public appearances are seldom, gimpers form the backbone of whatever they're part of. One of the reasons they're so hard to spot is that they never run in packs. They're loners. I am persuaded that gimpers are not loners because they prefer to be alone, but because in actuality there are so few of them, you can only spot them one at a time. You'll find that word gimper in the Webster's Unabridged Dictionary. Not the desktop volume, but the one that has to be laid out on a stand like this with thousands of pages. It means, gimper, spirit, vim, vigor, ambition. Swindoll wrote in that article, the gimper is committed to the core, thoroughly and unequivocally. His roots of dedication result in the rich fruit of determination, excellence, and achievement. Setting their sights high, gimpers drive toward the goal, absorbed in the passion of quality accomplished at almost any cost. <clears throat> and then to help people understand, he paraphrases some of the things Jesus said and puts the word gimper into his paraphrase. People ask you to go a mile? Be a gimper. Go two. Others love their friends and hate their enemies? Gimpers love their enemies and pray for their persecutors. The first question in the Gimper's manual, Swindoll says, is Jesus' question of all believers, what do you do more than these? And then listen to this paraphrase. The average Christian rejoices. Gimper Christians rejoice always. Most of us pray, gimpers pray without ceasing. It is common to give thanks, gimpers give thanks in everything. The basic believers want to refrain from evil. Gimper believers abstain from every form of evil. That's a paraphrase of 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. And Swindoll concluded his article this way, in Paul's own words, <clears throat> he was steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Unlike the river, he didn't just roll, he ricocheted. He didn't just live life, he attacked it. Paul made slothful saints about as comfortable as sleeping on a coat hanger. Nobody ever wanted to gimp as much as he, unless it be thee or me. If Colossians 3, particularly verses 12 through 17, the last part of what I read, doesn't describe the gimpers of God, I don't know what it's all about. And I urge you at the outset this morning to hang on, because this is going to be quite a ride. Well, gimpers, may I call you that? 
Here's how this chapter that I just read starts in the message. If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. I maintain that the call of the gospel to be gimpers for God is not the call to a quiet, peaceful, idyllic existence, but to live your life in front of a wrecking ball. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the Gimper Apostle declares. And we tend to paraphrase that, oh, Lord, just help me try a little harder. Help me make a little progress today, but I am confident that you are accepting that you are forgiving and that you love me. That's all true, gracefully true. But the call to discipleship is not the call to a couch, but the call to war. Here's how Anne Lamott put it. When you ask God into your life, you think he's going to come into your psychic house, look around and see that you just need a little cleaning. And so you would go along for the first six months, thinking how nice life is now that God is here. And then you look out the window one day, and you see there's a wrecking ball outside. It turns out that God actually thinks your whole foundation is shot, and you're going to have to start over from scratch. Unquote. This is not minor repairs. This is wrecking ball rebuilding. This is not a little spackle here and a few splashes of paint there. It's not sending the drapes out to have them cleaned or shampooing the carpet. Tear the whole thing down and start over again. Here's how Jesus put it one time. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to go with two hands into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And when the <clears throat> dust from the wrecking ball settles, and even before that, 
Get up, gimpers, and get dressed. This is what the well-dressed gimper will wear. And what I'm about to say, interestingly enough, and incredibly difficult, is that all five of these characteristics pertain to human relationships, which are the most difficult areas for us to work on. Somebody once wrote, Christianity is community. Christianity has on its divine side the amazing gift of peace with God. And on its human side, the triumphant solution to the problem of living together. So here's what the well-dressed gimper will wear. First of all, compassion. Literally, the ancients called compassion merciful intestines. And they said that because that feeling, that attitude, came from the deepest part of who you are. Care from the deepest part of your existence and your person. And if you're worried about not having enough opportunity to display compassion, I think I can say with a degree of certainty this morning, there is enough collective pain in this very room this morning to keep us all busy putting on compassion for the rest of our lives. Put on compassion. And put on kindness. While it's hard to say specifically and exhaustively what kindness is, the ancients described it as the virtue of the person whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. Clothe yourselves with that. Put on kindness and put on humility. I suggest to all of us this morning that that's the piece of clothing that wears out the fastest. Not because we use it so often, but because we take it off so often and have to put it back on again. Humility is a level-headed opinion of yourself that sees the other person as more important. Put on humility. And put on gentleness. Not, not weakness, not spinelessness, but the strength, get this, the strength to never be angry at the wrong time. And the wrong time is almost always precisely when we thought it was the right time. Gentleness is a softness that prefers enduring pain to inflicting it. Put on gentleness. And put on patience. Literally, what Paul says here is, let there be a long distance to your anger. Maybe you will have to bite your tongue once in a while or clamp your lips with your hand once in a while 
but put on what the Bible regularly calls long-suffering, spelled with four or five O's. Put on patience. You and I, the gimpers of God, must be living a put-on, not pretend, not fake, but constantly putting these things on, wrapping ourselves in them, covering ourselves with them, wearing them like clothes, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Now, there's something very important I want to emphasize at this point. It it doesn't change everything, but I think you'll agree with me that we are affected by what we wear. How we dress has some bearing on how we feel. We tend to go to God in prayer and in some fashion or other say, Lord, I'm, I'm not compassionate, I'm not kind. I'm not humble, I'm not gentle, I'm not patient. So please help me feel that way so I can act that way. And God says, you start acting that way and your actions will affect how you feel. And now to the really tough stuff. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. May I say respectfully, there are, I think I've already told you this once, there are some passages in the Bible I wish I didn't know. Put up with each other. Forgive each other. Love each other. That's, that's one of the passages I wish I didn't know because there are people I don't want to put up with. There are people I don't want to forgive. There are people I frankly don't feel like loving. And that's precisely what makes the church such an amazing organization. By the grace of God, here is where you can expect and accomplish something otherwise impossible. Here is where you will not only hear what you ought to wear, but you will be touched by people who are wearing those things when it comes to dealing with you. Here you will find people who will be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient with you. Here are people who will put up with you and me. Here are people who will forgive you and me. Here are people who will really love you and me. So bear with each other. There are texts in Scripture that are so complicated and convoluted, it takes a while to pull all the strands out and lay them out so you know what's being talked about. This is not one of them. Bear with each other is so simple and straightforward, it's scary. Robert Wall put it this way, to bear with each other means to put up with persons who rub us the wrong way. This does not suggest that we are simply cordial towards difficult neighbors. 
in a detached way. Rather, Paul calls us to be vulnerable to grace in order to achieve newfound intimacy where hostility once existed. You see, the idea is not just to put up with someone until you finally blow, but to always bear with each other. In every circumstance, we just never stop treating people with compassion. We don't run out of it. And kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. And it becomes possible in God's grace-filled way for me to be that way with you because you are being that way with me. And forgive. Not just huge immoralities and incredible illegalities, but whatever grievances you may have against one another. Actually, do you know what that text says? And forgive yourselves whatever grievances you may have. Meaning that we're not just a bunch of isolated individuals, we're a community, we're a family, we're a unity of people. And if I forgive you and you forgive me and somebody else forgives another, we are forgiving ourselves because what affects one of us affects all of us. When we forgive one another, we're actually doing for ourselves, for the community, for the body of Christ here, what Christ did for each of us. And every single one of us here is more worthy of forgiveness from any single one of us than any single one of us is worthy of forgiveness from God. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Whenever I counsel a young couple about to get married, at some point or other in the premarital counseling, I say, I'd like each of you to tell me what you mean when you say to the other, I love you. But, do it without using the word love. What would you say? William Barclay says that to love is to be interested in the other's highest good. To be like God to that person. Not to think you are God or to demand to be treated like God, but to treat the other the way God would treat the other which is always and only to be concerned for the well-being and the highest good of that other. And this love that's like that is to be over everything else, shaping it, influencing it, coloring it, so that our compassion and our kindness and our humility and our gentleness and our patience and our bearing with each other and our forgiving each other is all expressed in a love that is concerned for the other's highest good. And that's the way it's supposed to be in the church. That's the way it can be in this church. But only by the grace of God. And also for the sake of God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? Okay.
We say it all the time, okay. Did you ever wonder where it came from? Okay came from the presidential campaign of 1840. Back then, everybody who was anybody also was nicknamed Old Somebody. Martin Van Buren, the incumbent, had followed Old Hickory into the White House. Then he lost his job to Old Tippy Canoe, and he formed a third party to try to run again for the presidency and lost to Old Rough and Ready. Van Buren himself was named Old Kinderhook after the place where he was born in New York. And his supporters, particularly in New York, called themselves the OK Club. And everywhere they went, they shouted, OK, OK, OK. Old Kinderhook lost again, but OK won. It is one of the most frequently used English expressions, not only in this country, but in the whole world today, because names matter. Because we know that they're not just letters and syllables, but behind them is a person. So let every detail of your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Okay? Let's pray. Oh God, these are tall orders. This is an impossible mission. But Nothing is impossible for you. You have called us to be gimpers in this world for the sake of Christ and in the name of Christ. And to wear clothes that show your love and change others' lives as well as our own. Help us to dress that way always in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.